Welcome to the show. I'm Philip. On the HAN Show, we bring the haunt industry to you every weekday. We have news, education, and on-location coverage from Halloween experiences around the world. Whether you're a professional or enthusiast, each episode helps you better prepare for Halloween. Outside of this podcast, we have videos, education, and even events. Links to everything we do are in the show notes. On Mondays, we break down large trends from the news and discuss why it matters to you in our weekly Green Tagged series, co-hosted by Scott Swenson and myself. And check back tomorrow for our weekly haunt news roundup. Okay, here's this week's installment of Green Tagged Theme Park in 30. From our studios in Los Angeles and Abu Dhabi, this is Green Tagged Theme Park in 30. And Scott, Universal is going through a rebrand. Yay! Universal Parks and Resorts is becoming Universal Destinations and Experiences. This rebrand better reflects the full breadth of innovative offerings Universal brings to fans around the globe and its intent to continue to expand its business in the future. The name change also signals how the company is diversifying by bringing Universal branded entertainment, culinary, gaming, and consumer product experiences to life in unique and creative ways for new audiences in new places and on new platforms in both the physical and virtual world. Wow, that was a lot of nothing and yet everything <laughs> in, in like two two news release sentences. I, yeah, I was wondering how many buzzwords can we get into this one paragraph? <laughs> uh, but in all seriousness, I, I think that this is appropriate. And we've talked a lot about, we talked about the Vegas expansion, we talked about the Texas expansion, we talked about kind of the moving in. And when we talked about the Super Mario addition to Hollywood, I talked about what if this was the first inroad into creating gaming experiences and potentially seeing a gaming experience as a standalone experience. And I kind of feel like maybe they're not saying that directly, but they're definitely, I think, couched in these buzz, buzzwords is a lot of information where they're talked about branded entertainment culinary gaming and consumer experiences in physical and virtual worlds. To me, that points at potentially exactly that of more expansion into gaming and branded gaming experiences, branded food experiences. And I think that's essentially what if Universal became, you know, a Thinkwell or became a Whitewater or became one of the, a, a larger firm for creating bespoke themed experiences for brands. I don't know. I, to me, it sounds like it is their justification for not building big parks. Um, I think, I think Epic, I think Epic is truly Epic and overwhelming for them. Um, and especially the fact that, you know, COVID didn't help things any, um, I, I think that they're looking to, expand, and again, I'm reading between the lines here, so I do not know, and I could be way, way off. But in reading between the lines, it appears as though, um, and also based on their actions, it appears as though they're trying to get more and more presence in more and more locations, not just Florida and California. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> and, you know, overseas. Um, but, but in the States, it, it looks like they're trying to do that. And they can't afford necessarily to do full parks in all the locations that they want to do them in. So by eliminating parks and resorts from their name, it is managing expectations to bring down destinations and experiences. So destinations and experiences versus parks and resorts suggests, and I think this is right in line with what you were saying, Philip, suggests that 
their future model is going to be, we're going to do things smaller. You know, they've, they've, they've made these same warnings uh, about the, in the announcements of both their new Texas park and um, the new Vegas experience. They're, 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 they're like, it's going mm-hmm. to be smaller. It's not quite this. It's not quite that. It's smaller. It's less, it's less, it's less. And that's so that people don't come in going, oh, look, there's a new universal theme park in, in Las Vegas, which it's not. Mm-hmm. And it's not going to be from what I've seen. Mm-hmm. So it's it's an interesting yep. rebrand, and I think it's a rebrand to sort of CYA or or manage to be more professional to manage expectations. Do you think it could also be though, maybe like a vetting process in a way, like like they're clearly looking at emerging markets, mm-hmm. and and we have talked about this because. <laughs> I feel like you, if anyone understands emerging markets, because those are the people that hire you. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, like you get, you've look at how much work you've done in Texas and you've done work with all these emerging markets. And like, do you think it's a way for them to essentially test out those markets in a lower capital way? Like we're going to put a little thing here and see how these markets are doing. And then they could, they could always expand it into a theme park later if, you know, if there's, the ability or the need in the, the demand in the market. That's very smart. I hope, I hope that's the case. I hope that's the case. Cause that would be a really smart opportunity. Um, and, and again, I, I'm sure that there's someone in that company who's going, well, if this really takes off, we could add more and more and we could make it bigger and bigger. And, uh, but let's not, let's not, you know, um, let's not throw all of our money behind something that is really kind of untested for us as a company. Uh, yeah. yeah, I can see yeah. all of that happening. I, I, I think it's an interesting rebranding. I think um, what I'm hoping it does not mean is that the focus will be completely off of the larger parks because, again, I still think there is, I still think there is value in those. But from a business standpoint, I think it will always look better to say, let's invest now in something that's smaller, but um, <clears throat> there's less risk. Let's involve, let's, let's create things that are less risk. And to me, destinations and experiences say significantly less risk than parks and resorts. Do you think that this would be a threat to any of the themed entertainment companies? Um, Just because when I was reading it, I was kind of thinking, well, it almost sounds like they're trying to get into the territory of again, the people that we work with, like the Thinkwells and the Adirondack and kind of those more development companies where a brand could come to them and say, we would like to create a, you know, this something, a themed experience with this IP and they just partner with Universal and Universal would just take it from ideation through installation. Hmm. It's interesting. I, <clears throat> I don't know. I don't know. Um, because I know that you know Universal spends a lot of money hiring these companies, yep. like the ones you've mentioned, exactly. and not necessarily exactly. the ones you mentioned, but ones like the ones you've mentioned. And um, so, if they took that in house, and then, yeah, I, <clears throat> I don't economies of scale, right? They take it in house, and then they, and then they kind of then they offer it out to other people. But then, isn't yep. if that's the case? <clears throat> you're saying that they would only partner with Universal in order to do these new these new projects, and I don't think I don't think that's always going to fly. 
I don't know. Yeah, the brand might not like. Yeah, the brand like say basically yeah, that's the 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 thing is the brand might not want to do that. Like it might be, you know, there's still Legoland. I mean, there's still a bunch of other morale. Like they're never gonna morale's ever gonna work with Universal to create a themed area. I assumably probably not. You know, well, and and again, but, they don't they don't but, have you know. to because you know they're actually. They're actually working with the the company that uh, so much of Universal licenses things from, and that's Warner Brothers. So they're already partnered with Warner yeah. Brothers. There's no reason for them to partner with Universal. Yeah, you know, it's 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 fascinating because as we you know we've talked about a couple of times um, announced at the last the last IAPA the the Harry Potter expansion at, at Warner Brothers World. Yep. So it will be in Warner Brothers World and Universal Studios. <clears throat> the difference is Universal Studios is actually licensing it. Warner Brothers is licensing it, but they're licensing it from from another one of their own companies. So yeah. it's it's interesting. Yeah, I, I don't know. I don't know. To me, it seems more like they're 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 trying to to spread the Universal name without saying we have to make every park a Universal park. I I, I don't think they want to do. I don't think they want to necessarily do what. Um, Six Flags tried to do a few years ago where they pretty much bought up any park they could, put the Six Flags name on it, and then couldn't manage it. Yeah. Um, so instead... I agree. It's kind of the opposite. <clears throat> it seems like it's what they're exactly. doing. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Instead of saying, let's build, let's build universal parks everywhere in the world, it's more like, let's build a universal restaurant. Let's build a universal mm-hmm. um, immersive gaming experience. Let's build... And again, and maybe it is, maybe you're absolutely right. Maybe it is to test the market and see, you know, which markets do we want to expand in? Um, I just hope it doesn't go the way of Disney Quest. That's all I can say. Well, on that note, the park in Texas has been approved Let's see. The 97 acre park is expected to generate $3 million in annual sales and property taxes, as well as an additional million in hotel taxes, according to the final presentation that they made to the city council. We, we covered this before. Basically, there's still a lot of people that are not happy with it locally, but the city council, you know, kind of pushed it through. So it's, it, it's officially now we are officially approved. It's officially ready to begin. And I, I don't really think there's much to say here other than it's finally officially approved. And just, you know, the, the people have valid concerns. I, you know, you a lot of reporters there were covering what the, uh, the locals had to say about it. And it's what we talked about last time, just over, you know, just reiterating. Um, but you know, I, again, I, I think what this points to is that Texas there, you know, this area is an emerging market. Mm-hmm. There's not really, I mean, it's, I'm not sure that's always been the case with tourism. You know, it's, it's the same thing, you know, that like <laughs> the people don't want the park nearby because property values and noise and crime. And I was like, well, that's just kind of part of, of an area developing, you know, the, the more an area develops, the more tourism it has. And that, that's just how it goes. And there's always going to be people that are going to be unhappy with that. So <laughs> well, you're exactly right. I, I can't think of a single theme park, that has started from scratch in my lifetime that everybody in the area where they're putting it in went, Oh great. We're getting a new theme park in our area. Um, but on the flip side, the, the buildup of Orlando, Florida, uh, would not have ever, ever happened 
had it not been for Disney and then a second shot in the arm with Universal. And then, you know, it, it, it would have it would have stayed Gatorland in a small town. It never would have been a major city. Uh, and it's and it's interesting because, you know, in Florida, you go to the parts of Orlando that are the oldest and they look remarkably like Tampa. Uh, it's 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 very um, 1920s bungalow style, you know, the historic areas. That's what that's what Orlando was. Orlando was not a big mega city until, you know, in the in the 70s, the early 70s, when all of a sudden Walt Disney World popped up there and they weren't, you know, we've we've talked about this many, many times. And, and I think we'll get into it a little bit later in this show, too. That's part of the reason that so much of that land was was purchased under um under a cloak and dagger kind of approach so that people wouldn't fight it, number one, and number two, so that farmers wouldn't raise their prices because they were basically buying up a bunch yep. of farmland. So, yep. um, yeah, I, I, yeah. I, hope, I hope things go well with the Texas park. Um, and obviously there is enough, uh, there are enough people there who are looking at it and evaluating it um, to get the city council to approve it. You know, city council members very rarely go out on a limb for anything that is too controversial. And um, mm-hmm. so it's, <clears throat> there may be one or there may be some, there may be some uh, loud people who don't like it. But I would venture to say that if the city council has gone through with it, then the majority of people with power and money are saying, let's do it. Yeah. Well, that area, as we talked about, is a very desirable area, apparently, because uh, Merlin Entertainment's announced that they're going to debut a new Peppa Pig theme park in North Richland Hills, Texas, in 2024. So just, just next year. The all-new standalone Peppa Pig Texas theme park will be located in North Richland Hills and will feature multiple rides, interactive attractions, themed playscapes, and shows, all based on the recognizable locations from the brand. Families will also meet Peppa and her friends as they snort, giggle, and play. That's pretty much it. There's no other details about this, but again, I think it goes in line with all of these. I mean, it's almost like you got to wonder if it you got to wonder how, how far in advance uh, the brands were looking at this area, but it's clear that everyone is looking at the, the same mm-hmm. kind of emerging markets here. It's just going to be a run on on all the places that we've seen developing happening, you know, Austin, Houston, San Antonio, the Dallas area, outside suburb area, Vegas area, and then the other other around and some of the other states we're getting are on the list as well. well and so. it's also got it's also got the things that that originally brought <clears throat> themed entertainment to Florida and to California. Um, it's got weather where you're not locked into a yep. really short operating season. Um, so that makes that's another very practical factor that I think figures yep. into this. Have you noticed? Has there been any infrastructure too? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Has there been any discussion that the new Peppa Pig Park? will be um, the sensory sensitive park um, similar to the, the Florida park or, or has that been discussed yet? It hasn't been discussed at all. Um, I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to assume that it will be simply because they, it's not like they, like they, they, <laughs> that's the statement directly from the press release. So, but they haven't announced any other details, but I don't, I'm not sure why they would, go in reverse kind of in a way, you know, it's already designed that way. So why would you 
pay, you know, why would you redesign the whole thing? Yeah, I would think so too. And and know. to me, that's so much a part of the Peppa Pig live experience brand yeah. that I don't yeah. think they could change it now. I was just I was just curious because it's not specifically mentioned in this uh, in this statement, and uh, yeah. <clears throat> that's what they led with when it opened in Florida. So, mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. so I'm, I'm yeah, we'll see. Yeah, we'll we'll see. I mean, we'll, I'm sure we'll talk about this when they finally uh, <laughs> give us more details. But that's really it. They haven't. Uh, the details have been very sparse on that, which is it's just it's just so interesting to me. Like it, the 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 time that we're in right now, because I feel like we're getting all, a lot of announcements about different markets and experiences coming very quickly mm-hmm. without much details and on short time windows too. I mean the you know we just barely heard about the the universal move into Vegas and Fristo and Frisco and then they're like they're already it's already approved by city council and they're moving ahead and now we have Pepper the Pig it's coming and they're like 2024 I'm like that's a year away guys right. <laughs> like right. like you know we can get a little bit more information I mean it's just it's just 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 because previously we just talked about how Tron was like you know a decade in the making and and now suddenly we're like new theme park you have a new theme park. You have a new theme park. <laughs> it's, well, it's, uh... and, and announcements and actual openings are not the same thing. We yes, have to remember that. Yeah. Um, I think what we're seeing right now, in my in my opinion, what we're seeing right now is the we're we're truly seeing the post pandemic pop. This is uh, yeah. companies are are saying we've got to get some word out there. You know, a couple shows ago we talked about how every zoo in the world is is announcing that they have some new um, habitat and they're going as far as you know 10 years 15 years out in their announcements so they've got to do something to, to say look we're still here and we still need you to come and yeah. and we're still excited about having you and uh, so um, <clears throat> even though things are you know on the rise but they've had they've been sitting on their hands for two years and who knows whether these things that are just popping up and again I don't but it is quite possible that these things that are just quote unquote popping up have been done and have been in the you know in yep. on hold flying flying in circles around the airport until it was actually time to uh, open the airport so it could land so um yeah. you're absolutely right there are a lot of things that just seem to be like oh oh that's happening okay uh but i i also i just want to put that into perspective because there was there was a big relatively large just shutdown that we all know about so um these yeah. these may be things that have been discussed for significantly longer than we realize, but now they're starting to make these kinds of announcements so that they can stir up interest and stir up business. Yeah, that's a good point. Um, let, let's look at the inverse now. Let's talk about we've been talking a lot about expanding markets. Mm-hmm. Let's talk about the opposite. <laughs> some some stuff has come out recently about potentially contracting markets and and where we are with pricing. Um, one story I'm going to mention in passing, uh, just because ve- there's virtually almost zero details about this. And so we can't really go into it too much, but the Mattel Adventure Park that we talked about, um, they announced very quietly that they are going to delay their opening until 2024. It was supposed to be this summer, it was supposed to be in like two months, mm-hmm. and they're delaying that entirely. So just moving the timeline, no details as to why, just, just very little information about that. That's all I have to say. I mean, that, that's it. Um, beyond that... <laughs> Beyond that, just it's uh, totally um, a big story that got very 
uh, little coverage because there's no details about it. Um, beyond that, we are seeing some news from Disney that might uh, signal that they have reached the ceiling of their pricing. They <laughs> got two signals here mm -hmm. that we've seen. Mm -hmm. uh, the first is that the Star Wars Galactic Star Cruiser is downgrading to partial weeks this fall. And this comes via Attractions Magazine, Star Wars Galactic Star Cruiser, the expensive and immersive Star Wars themed hotel at Walt Disney World will downgrade its operations to two voyages a week starting in October. The Star Cruiser had passengers every day of the week since its opening last year. The switch is assumed to be because of lack of bookings. Assumed. So there's not actually a statement from Disney as to why. Mm -hmm. we're the, the They're just noting that out. And I'm going to pair this with another Disney story. Bob Iger gave a presentation at the Morgan Stanley TMT conference. In the presentation, he made specific reference to the theme parks and the pricing for the theme parks. And he kind of said two very important things. Uh, in the show notes, you can go in and watch uh, the entire talk where you can just watch the, the clip about that. But uh, basically, he says that they're bullish on the theme parks being recession resistant. He did mention that specifically, but that he they don't want to overcharge for the theme park experience, and they want to make sure that kind of in Walt's vision that the theme parks remain accessible, like it remains accessible to go to the parks. Hi, what do you think, Scott, about kind of all of this at once? Well, I mean, we knew that that Iger was gonna was gonna shake things up. We just knew that. Yeah. You know, that's, there's nothing, there's nothing really surprising about that. Um, and th as far as Galactic Star Cruiser goes, I don't want to, <clears throat> well, I think you're right. I think it is because, uh, it's because of, of lack of, of bookings. I'm, we're assuming that is the case. Yeah. In fairness, knowing what else, else is going on in the industry right now, it could also be because of lack of staffing. Because to staff something like this requires a very specific skill level that is becoming harder and harder to find worldwide right now. So it is also possible that, and it could be you know part of one and part of another, I don't know. But clearly, if it were making money hand over fist and they could operate it uh, seven days a week, they would. So there's, there's yeah. something that's not... <clears throat> There's something that's not happening. Either people are going, okay, the the top one percent who thought this was the coolest thing in the world have all done it now, and um, and then told their friends, it's okay. You know, I've I've talked to a lot of people who've done it, and uh, I talked to a lot of people who had done it and didn't didn't pay for it. They were part of the either a test run or they they was purchased for them. And they all said, yes, it was really cool. We really liked it. We would never pay to do it again. So mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. to me, that speaks to repeatability. And, uh, and I think it's interesting that they, they basically said, and again, this is anecdotal. This is not solid knowledge anywhere. Yeah. Uh, but, but it does sort of lead into the making certain that theme parks remain accessible um, to, to guests. Yeah. And, you know, part of the reason... I, well, that's not a theme park, though. I mean, right, it's, it's a separate experience, so I don't know. It's a separate experience run by a theme park. I mean, people, people don't think of it... People don't think of it as a standalone. They think of it as an upgrade. You know, mm -hmm. I, I don't think there's anybody who's like, 
yeah, uh, there's there's Star Wars Galactic Star. I mean, even part of it, it includes going into the park. You know, it it, it yeah. includes going into the the the, the park. So, um, and 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 again, I'm all about velvet ropes. I've never been I've never been opposed to them. I don't think there's anything wrong with them. But this one, uh, they're for for whatever reason, whether it's staffing or whether it's pricing, is is um, not working the way they thought it was going to. I think it's a fair enough statement. Mm-hmm. And it could be very simply because it is not accessible. So uh, now, and, and you know, we talk about, we talk about Walt's dream of the parks always being accessible, but let's not forget that when Disneyland opened up, it was accessible to pretty much anyone. However, it was still a ticketed experience to ride anything. Mm-hmm. So you could get into the park, but if you wanted to do, the high-end attractions, um, you had to you had to pony up for an e-ticket, you know. Um, so, I, I, yes, I, I do think they need to be. I do think you need to look at economy of scale. I do think you need to look at um, how many people can we get into the park so that they can enjoy it, so that they can market it, so that you know, with market it through um, word of mouth, market it through social media, whatever. So that uh, you, they can uh, generate additional revenue with with merchandise and culinary and uh, velvet rope experiences, I guess, like Galactic Star Cruiser. But um, there's always going to be a sweet spot, and that sweet spot's going to be a constantly moving target. So, yeah, yeah. So I, I actually, that's more what what I was thinking about the the sweet spot type of thing. I don't. I think a lot of people jumped on this as like a making a lot of noise and trying to make it into a negative story. I don't see it negatively at all. I see it as a normal part of what we do, which again is trying to assess where, you know, where, where the line mm-hmm. is. Like, it's like you, you, you know, you, you, uh, I, I don't know how to say it. Like, I don't want to get trouble for like saying it, like, but in, in some ways, but it's kind of like you, in order to do service to the shareholders, you don't want to leave money on the Correct. table. So you're always trying to figure out where the line is. You know, but you don't want to leave money on the table. That's basically it. So I've seen all of this really as just a, a big testing field. You know, like you, you, they, they tried the the air experience. You know, the the trip around the world thing that sold out very quickly and they've been trying to start, I mean, they just, they're trying different pricing packages and different markets and different, and just got to figure it out. And, you know, I, it could be again, that the target that is moving for the parks, not necessarily like, like, (laughs) I'm not sure that they were, I, I, we have so many friends that hate the changes of the parks, right. And hate the, the price, the price increases and whatnot, but I'm not sure that those weren't, correct for the time mm-hmm. and it's a different time now and you know we've since they've started this in the beginning we've talked about how the theory that disney was testing was you know how many what's the total market size the total addressable market like if if everybody that would go to a disney theme park would go to a disney theme park what is that number and if they all visited just once a year what does that put our occupancy at that's kind of like an impossible question to answer. And I feel like that's more what they were trying to figure out. Like, where's the the sweet spot where they could encourage the maximum amount of people to visit once a year and spend their their money once? Like, that's, that's what you're trying to figure right. out, right? And then, 
then you're just backpedaling. And, and it's a different world. It, like from when they first reopened and the, and, and the demand at that time, it's a different world now. And I feel like this is all the learning curve. I don't know. I, I know everyone is so unhappy about the prices and about this and about the, and, and they have, everything has gone up. Yeah. But I, I don't, I see it more as them just experimenting and trying to find the line and, and the experience and figure out how many, like, look at what Galactic Star Cruiser taught them. It, it, it basically gave them a number. This is the amount of people that you can put through an experience like mm-hmm. this. So now they, now they can make the Pixar cruise. <laughs> I mean, you know, and then they can, they can scale it proportionally and, and do it for this amount and sell it to the, I mean, that, that's what I see. Yeah, I, I think that's I think that's a very interesting uh, a very interesting view, and I think they've you know Disney has has always done that. They've always sort of reevaluate businesses around the world have done that. They kind of reevaluate, going okay, yeah. we uh, that didn't work. Let's try this instead. Um, you, I, I glibly mentioned Disney Quest earlier. Perfect example. Yeah. Yeah. You know, having Disney yeah. having Disney run family entertainment centers on the Disney level did not work. It it did not work. They could not make it profitable. Um, Galactic Star Cruiser. I'm, I'm curious to follow this. <clears throat> I'm curious to follow this. I'm hoping, I'm hoping just because I love the concept, I'm hoping it continues. But, you know, they also, I'm sure, have a bailout plan. I'm sure there's also yeah. a way to, you know, if this, yep. doesn't, if this doesn't fly, so to speak, pardon the bad pun, um, Nah. If it doesn't cruise. Yeah, yeah. If this if this cruise doesn't fly, um, <clears throat> then is there the possibility of either making it another high-end hotel that is not cruise-based? Yeah. Or is it an is there an opportunity to make it an in-park attraction that is an upsell, that is that does not involve actually um, spending the night so that it makes it more cost-effective? I mean, I'm sure they have I'm sure they have uh, escape plans. For this, and and to your point, it's all a learning curve. It's all a it's all yeah. a, a, an exploration as to you know what can we charge, what is accessible, what is not accessible, and um, and what can make it so that the parks are you know recession resistant. I, I believe that we reported um, a while back that the parks actually were doing quite well for for Disney. Yep. Um, in comparison to some, yeah, it's Disney Plus that's struggling, yeah. not the yeah. Parks. In comparison to some of their other, <laughs> their other things, so I I think it's quite possible that in in Iger's statements, he's basically reinforcing that and saying, look, yeah. the parks are doing okay. Um, we need to make sure that they remain open and 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 accessible to people. Uh, is is kind of kind of what I'm reading between the lines again there. So. Who knows? You know, this this industry is going to continue to expand and contract and and find new ways to bring fun into people's lives. And um, unfortunately, we have to contract to close right now. That was the worst segue I've ever done in my entire life. But we are out of time. That's pretty bad. <laughs> we are out of time. Our time has expanded to our 30 minutes, so we are going to contract and say goodbye for now. On behalf of Philip Hernandez and myself, Scott Swenson, this is Green Tag Theme Park in 30, and we will see you next week. Today's episode was produced and edited by me, Philip Hernandez, with post-production by David Swope. Support for this episode comes from Gantam Lighting and Controls. See what you're missing with a free demo. Sign up at gantam.com demo. 
We release a free weekly industry newsletter. Sign up on our website or at the link in our show notes. The Haunted Attraction Network team includes Daryl Plunkey, Emily Louise Rua, Megan Spells, Gavin Burns, and Maximus Bryant. Our partner stations include A Scott in the Dark, Scare Track, The Scare Factor, and Haunt Topic Radio. Finally, please, please, please rate and subscribe to our show wherever you're listening. And until next time, haunters, stay scary. This is a Haunted Attraction Network production.